Welcome back to another Dad You podcast. My name is Chris Sherrod. I am the marriage and family director here at Watermark. And uh, dads, we're so glad that you're tuning in. We pray that this has been just encouragement and a little bit of equipping. We, we want you to feel um, and be reminded that you can do this. Um, so hopefully this has just been a time as you've listened to these where you feel like you can do this. You've got this. Today, uh, I have a guest with us. We have uh, Dr. Oren Martin with us and uh, first time here on the Daddy You podcast. Welcome. So good to be here. So uh, you and I started about a month apart yeah. last year, which is crazy. And if you guys don't know this, somehow, I think it's because we both started, we're the new guys, but we kind of look alike. Apparently, we have the same haircut, apparently. So all the time, people were asking, you know, we're mistaking us for each other. Yeah. Do you have any funny stories? Yeah. Literally yesterday, there was a, there was a, uh, somebody was walking out uh, of kind of office close together too. And so I just see somebody and she looks at me and she says, hey, I just put some stuff. Hey, Chris, I just put some stuff in your office. And I was like, uh, I'm not Chris. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. So like literally yep. almost every day. And we've been here a year. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people on the elevator say, I really enjoyed your sermon. And it, it was you. And so what's funny is I know some of the answers, though. Like if someone says, how long were you in Kentucky? I go, oh, 18 years. Like just because. <laughs> and I haven't really played it off too, yeah. too long. But That's so funny. Yeah, it's been good. So tell us about your family yeah. and what you were doing before you came here. Yeah. So uh, I am married. We've been married. Cindy and I have been married for 24 years. Uh, we just celebrated recently. And... We have three children, Jonathan, Anna, and Benjamin, who in a couple of months will turn 15, 13, and 11. Okay. And so the past 18 years, you're correct, uh, we have been <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky, where I have taught, well, I was in school for nine years, and then I, I was on faculty for almost 10 years teaching uh, theology, Christian theology. So, you know, basically what what does the whole Bible say about God, revelation, man, sin, Christ, Holy Spirit, salvation, church, last things. So, you know, teaching classes and and all of that and any of those kind of electives and that kind of stuff. At Southern or at Boyce as well or both? I was uh, contractually half and half. So okay. two classes at Boyce, two classes at Southern okay. every semester. Uh, also served as the elder at uh, Clifton Baptist Church uh, for the past 13 years or so. So awesome. very, very fruitful years, formative years. But it is good to be back in the holy land of Texas. I grew <laughs> up in Houston. <clears throat> My wife is from Midland, Texas. We met at Texas A&M University. Okay. Yeah, and that's where... Uh, it all began. Yeah. And the connection here was, was it T.A. knew you? Yeah, I knew country? one person at Watermark. Okay. And that was T.A. Okay. We had met because he was at A&M uh, uh, leading Breakaway Ministries, and, which is a weekly Bible study. And I got to know him because I would fly down and teach at their institute. Mm. Kind of started before him uh, under Ben Stewart. And then when T.A. came on, we kind of built a friendship and knew he had come to Watermark and didn't, you know, really didn't know anything about Watermark until... March 11th of last year. Yeah. I just looked it up actually recently. And I was like, how long ago was that? Yeah. He texted me and said, hey, would you be interested in this role of teaching in the in the Institute, which our ministry residency program, leading the equipping team and uh, serving as, I don't know, but what they call their theologian in residence. That's right. That I was going to say resident theologian. Yep. Uh, and so uh, we, I said, no, but I'll pray about it. And two months later, we made the decision to come here. Crazy. So. And we first met. May, I think it was May 5th, yes. I was preaching or May something. Yeah. I was preaching on Mother's Day. Yep. You guys were checking it out. Yeah, we that was our, our decision moment. So we felt like the Lord was was leading us here. Yeah. Um, after two months of just agonizing, you know, yes, one day, and then the next mm -hmm. day, why would we leave here? You know? Right, and, right. And so we, we uh, Cindy and I just really took some time to, to pray and, and seek the Lord about it. And 
and uh, felt like this is where he was leading us. And so we told Blake and Blake was like, why don't y'all come? You know, I said, I can't make a decision without my wife and kids coming down just to make sure it's going to be a church where we can flourish under the teaching and preaching of the word and so on and so forth. And so we came down and uh, he told me that this guy, Chris Sherrod, was preaching. <laughs> I, think I told you this. And I was like, oh, great. I was like, because we love T.A. and John. Right. I don't know who Chris Sherrod is. It's probably <laughs> going to be terrible. And my family's going to hate it. And they're going to hate me. Right. And, and then ended up, you served us so well. And I thought, man, if this is the kind of church where even the, the bench can <laughs> preach God's word and the saints are edified and built up, this is a church we want to be at. So we told Blake the next wow. day, that's where we want to go. Really? Okay. Yep. The next day. Yeah. So, so you're, you're part of the story from the wow. beginning. Wow. Okay. I'm honored. Well, the main reason we do this podcast, and, and you know this, is just like I said earlier, we want dads to be encouraged. We want them to be reminded. It is your primary role to be disciple maker. But then I think dads know that a lot of them know that or feel that or are learning that. But how you do that, I think, is the big question. Like, what do I do? You know, and that's what I I want to get to first. But I think the the step before that is really having a, a realization of the impact that you have as a dad. Because it is really easy in our culture to feel, I've mentioned this before as dads, to feel either, um, you know, in, insecure or passive or uh, timid or who am I? I'm just not, you know, I, I, my past is so messed up. I never had it. And all these, all these excuses in our minds. But I think once you realize, first of all, it is my job and then the impact that you have, then you're motivated more to just like, okay, how do I do this? Tell me what to do. So a verse that always kind of comes to my mind in that area is Proverbs fourteen twenty six. It says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. I think another translation says, has a strong fortress, that strong confidence. But the point is, your fear of the Lord builds something strong and stable, and then your children find that as a refuge, a yep. place that they, they feel strong and stable as well because of your fear of the Lord. So I know your story is um, pretty amazing of God's rescuing you mm. and then the impact of your dad and your even how you want to intentionally raise your kids. Yeah. And so today, before we get to the other part of like, so how do you do that in your home? I first want to just hear your story. Yeah. How did it all begin? And I, I can just listen. Uh, I don't, if I have asked questions, I'll interrupt to do that. But yeah. I really just want to hear, you know, just how God rescued you yeah. and then the impact of uh, your dad in your life. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. What is what a story of of God's amazing grace. So I grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, wonderful parents. Uh, they professed to be Christians. They took us to church. They were involved in youth and college ministry as volunteers. I mean, they mentored young adults for I mean, my whole life. Kind of you know, eighteen years growing up. I don't remember my parents not serving in youth youth and college ministry. And so we always had uh, you know high school college students in our home. You know, they my dad served as a deacon. And it was a, you know, it was a large church. The fundamentals of the gospel were there. So I grew up hearing the gospel. I grew up hearing my parents wanted me to trust in Christ. Mm -hmm. So when I was seven, uh, I made a profession of faith. And uh, I was I was baptized upon being told to do so by my <laughs> parents. And that's what you did, right? And, yeah. And so, uh, you know, fr from that point on, I would say I was a, I was a relatively good kid uh, as compared to my more, maybe more outwardly rebellious sister. I hope you're not listening. Sorry. Uh, but I was I was just more inwardly rebellious, which means I was I was able to hide my sin better. Okay. 
But, you know, from that from that time of, of seven to, you know, when I was a, a senior in high school, I would have said I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, although, looking back, I didn't have any evidence of, of God's grace in my life. I didn't have any evidence of, of just His Spirit working in my life, giving me a conviction of sin. There's heart rot repentance over sin, conviction over sin. I didn't have any desire for God's Word. I mean, when we go to the, you know, our, our summer youth retreat, super summer, uh, we would, uh, I'd come home and like like every, you know, uh, camp high, I'd, yes. I'd sit down to read my Bible and it was terrible. It was boring. I didn't understand it. And so that lasted for, you know, maybe a day. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, I'd kind of go, go on to live my life, you know, but yeah, you know, I love church. My parents were intentional with, you know, making uh, their best friends, uh, people who had kids, uh, my age, and mm-hmm. so you know, I I love that 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 their best friends were people they spent time with, and that that was a great blessing to me because their children became my best friends, and so mm-hmm. we all kind of there's four of us that kind of grew up together. Um, our parents were all good friends. We were good friends, and that s- did spare me from a lot of sin. Just God's grace and protection in my life, although it didn't it didn't keep me from sin. So you know, my my junior year of high school, my dad went in the hospital, uh, and th- they couldn't figure out what was going on. And they did ran every kind of test, and n- no one knew what was going on. He'd never been in the hospital before, never had any sickness. I mean, any, so we were just puzzled. And you know, after all this kind of stuff, they uh, diagnosed him with. Uh, uh, fourth and final stage of of AIDS. This is 1991. Fourth and final. Fourth and final stage. Wow. And you know, so I just remember reading in the hospitals, a uh, you know, 15, 16 year old saying, "This is 1991. Uh, okay, can you give him some medicine? We can go home." I didn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. you know. And this is before kind of Magic Johnson and kind of you know, AIDS was kind of put on the map, uh, kind of publicly. Uh, and so you know, at that time they told us it's terminal. He had less than a year to live. Oh my goodness. And it was just like. Shocking, sure. you know, and you know, honestly, like for for me to process that, I I didn't think it was a reality. I was like, "There's no way that's going to happen," mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he was healthy, a picture of good health, um, and you know, I just think naively, I probably thought like God would never do that. Mm. And so for two years, my dad was was I mean, amazingly healthy, okay. and actually made progress, and and he was doing experimental treatments, and you know, that just added to oh, you know, it's fine, it's going to be, you know, that's, nothing's going to happen, and so on and so forth, and um, and then my my senior year of high school, um, in the spring before I graduated, he went down really quickly, and died in August after my senior year of high school. After after okay. I graduated high school, so you know, I just remember being broken. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, he was a wonderful father. He worked from home, so he could spend time with us. Uh, he and I mowed yards together. He, I mean, I went to work with him all the time. He was fun. He, he, he was like a big brother, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, which which has its strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> you know, he was, looking back, he he was not the disciplinarian of the family. Uh-huh. My mom was. So he was he was probably a bit more passive and, and just wanted to be best friends and, and uh, you know, always joking around. And, you know, there's nothing like... Uh, you know what? What always solves a good conflict is to make jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of it, which is a joke. Don't do that. Man. Yes, right. uh, that's terrible. Your wife will not appreciate that. Um, and I preach that to myself as, as much <laughs> as anybody. So all, all I have to say, like that, that was a moment where the rug was pulled out from me. My life was turned upside down, and it exposed my heart for what it, mm-hmm. for what it was, and where I was trusting, uh, what I was putting my trust in, and it wasn't the Lord. And I just went off the deep end. And so for about three years, I. Uh, just pursued the things of the world. I chased everything the world could offer through alcohol, uh, relationships, uh, just, and, you know, again, kind of, I, I had a, some protective measures. So the Lord kept me from from a lot of sin. You know what I mean? Like, 
promiscuity, that kind of stuff. Although, uh, you know, I still found ways to sin, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think probably one of the things that, that helped uh, in, in terms of the, the sexual morality area is— is growing up, I was always overweight. and uh, I, the, Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No uh, when, way. I, when I graduated from high school, I lost 60 pounds and I grew three inches. What? And so all that meant, <laughs> I say that because— um, uh, I need to see a picture. I liked all these girls, and all the girls liked my best friends, uh-huh. which I hated. But looking <laughs> back, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for sparing me from a lot of stuff. Though I was you know, drinking, I started racing cars. My dad was big into cars, so I started uh, racing a Mustang. Street racing, racing at the track, uh, just d- doing dumb, foolish, sinful things. Yeah, uh, and that—that's what that was my life. I was hopeless, and I was trying to to fill my heart with the things the world could offer. Mm-hmm. And did you think to yourself that you were doing that, or were you just no, numb? You were just trying was, to numb it. No, okay, I was trying to escape. Yeah, uh, and you know, in that time, my mom, shortly after my dad died, uh, uh, met and married an unbeliever. Uh, and that just fueled my anger. Hmm. And I moved out of the house in protest, protest of the marriage, didn't attend their wedding, moved in with my, my friends and their parents, kind of bounced around from house to house. Uh, you know, got to, kind of got to the point where I just felt like I was overstaying my welcome. I was, didn't want to be a burden to people. I would sleep in my car. I would just, I would do whatever. And so yeah. finally my sister, uh, bless her heart, she was like, I'm going to direct, her, direct quote her. She said, uh, Oren, you're an idiot. You're living like an idiot. You're a fool. Uh, why don't you get out of the Houston scene and come live with us? Uh, she and her husband were at, uh, students at A&M. And, and she's so, how old, older than you? She's two and a half years older than Older, me. okay. And, you know, in God's mercy, uh, thank you, Shiloh, uh, I moved up with her and Chris. Hmm. And what, what I quickly found out was that it wasn't my circumstances or surroundings or my city that was causing me to sin. It was my heart. Mm-hmm. And I immediately, you know, started working in a mechanic shop again, which is what I was doing in Houston, uh, racing, drinking, often at the same time, chasing things of the world. Uh, and I was hopeless. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I contemplated ending my life. I mean, it's just losing my father was losing everything. Mm-hmm. And I started going to church with my sister. And for the first time in my life, uh, looking back, I heard what was called expositional preaching, which is just preaching verse by verse, book mm-hmm. by book through the Bible. Yep. And um, I just remember being floored by the riches and depths of God's Word. And I remember the, the Lord just opened my eyes to my own sin. And he opened my eyes to the beauty of of Christ and what he did for me in my salvation, how he lived the life I couldn't live, how he died the death I deserved to die, how he paid the penalty that I should have paid and couldn't pay. Mm-hmm. And through trusting in his life and his death and resurrection and ascension, uh, now God counts to me the very life and obedience of Christ. Uh, and now I'm alive with Christ. I'm buried in baptism with him, raised to walk in news of life. I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. And I just remember for the first time in my life, everything that I'd lacked for 21 years, I immediately had. I had hope. Mm. I had joy. I had a hunger for God's word. It was, I mean, it was, it was balm for my weary soul. Yeah. And uh, I remember my college pastor, the Lord just was gracious to put men in my life who um, just discipled me and and taught me. One one man was was Kevin Kevin Eckert, my college pastor. He's a pastor now in Austin. Um, he was just like I remember, you know, that first week of being a, really the Lord saving me. I was like, I don't want to do the things that I used to do. And so I remember going to his office the next Wednesday night, and I was like, Hey, what do Christians do on Wednesday nights? I know what I was doing <laughs> last Wednesday night. I was going to this place and racing and right. all this kind of stuff. And he was just like, 
why don't you just hang out here? You know, yeah. and he just was faithful and patient and, and taught me how to read the Bible, taught me how to share my faith. Well, you take me out on campus and we share the gospel with unbelievers. He taught me wow. how to, you know, pray and fast and uh, meditate on scripture. I mean, he taught me everything, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, he, and, and so, you know, in that week, really, I, you know, I share the gospel. I told all my friends that I hung out with, that I worked with, hey, you know, this is what the Lord has done in my life. I don't want to do those things anymore. And, you know, it was clumsy and I stumbled and went back into those things at times and repented. And, you know, it was a, it was a clumsy, slow process. But I remember losing all my friends in a matter of a couple of weeks. And uh, so I was really kind of alone and had the church. And Kevin was like, why don't you just, you know, in your free time, why don't you just read the Bible? And I was like, okay, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so uh, the first book I read when I was 21 years old, in my life, I cheated my way through school. I hated school. Uh, the first book I read was the Bible. Uh, as a 21-year-old, I read wow. it from cover to cover in about two months. I was just, I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think of those words of Peter in John 6 where Jesus says, do you want to go away also? After he said some hard things, like if you want to follow me, you got to you gotta take all of me, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, not just the parts you like, but you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? You got you to gotta abide in me and, and, and lose your life to follow me, to gain me, right? And uh, I just remember, you know, it's kind of the response of Peter, like, where else do we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I just remember being hopeless and in despair uh, for the first time I had hope. And his, his word was life-giving. And God radically changed my life. The second part of that story is um, about four years after my dad died, they told us he contracted AIDS from dental work he had had back in the 80s before they were screening blood and all that came out. Um, so four years after he died, kind of after a series of, of events with my mom and re- reconciling with her, her husband actually became a Christian, praise God, through wow. this whole process. Okay. Um, and uh, it kind of came out that she uh, she had known, she did not tell us that my dad had contracted AIDS through years of unfaithfulness mm. uh, and just a lot of sin. Uh, and she she didn't tell us that to protect us, and so that we wouldn't, um, you know, have a, a just a, a ruined view of him. You know, and I, I appreciate that. The mom, yeah. My mom wanted to do that for us. But she knew about it, or she, she knew, knew about it <clears throat> yeah. while it was going on. Or yes, wow. she, so there's a time in the mid '80s that uh, he confessed it, um, and she thought it stopped. And then in '91, when he was diagnosed with AIDS, he confessed it again. That since that time before he had not he had not stopped um and then uh, kind of close to when he died on his deathbed in 93 he confessed again that even after contracting aids he had not been faithful wow and i just remember um this was just a, f- a few months shortly after i became a christian i remember you know just being like the rug pulled out from under me again mm-hmm. i mean this was your this is my father right. who loved me who was home with me who invested in me who who was a wonderful father, you know, who, I mean, I, I just, I, I didn't even know that, right? Nor, nor can I look back and I'm like, when did he even have, I don't even know, right? Um, b- but at the end of the day, um, I'm so thankful because had I learned that about my dad just a few months prior, but before I became a Christian, who knows what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But because God had saved me in Christ and, and confronted me with my own sin uh, and my need for a Savior, it really drove me to the Scriptures even more. Because I started asking questions like, what does it mean to be a Christian man? What does it mean to persevere in faith? What does it mean to put to death the deeds of the flesh? And I came across books like one of my favorite books, John Owen, called The Mortification of Sin, which is, you know, 100 pages on Romans 8, 13. Mm -hmm. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. 
And I just remember for that year, it just drove me into soaking my mind and heart in God's Word because because I wanted to pursue holiness mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in ways that my father did not. And and to this day, that's what drives me as, as a Christian. Uh, I, I know that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and those things lead to death. Yep. But but Jesus came that we might have life and have, and have it abundantly, and so I want to I want to pursue that with all the strength that He gives me by His Spirit. Uh, I, I want to experience that life, and uh, that's that's what drives me as a as a as a Christian as a as a husband. I want to be faithful to Cindy. Um, you know, I used to pray these big prayers. Cindy and I have talked about recently. Um, you know, about we want all these things we want to do for God's kingdom, and you know, and now it's just simple prayers. The, long, the longer we've lived, and the more I've seen friends fall in ministry, and yeah. um, I just pray, God, keep me faithful yeah. to the end. Uh, keep me close. Uh, keep me faithful to Cindy. Keep me faithful to my children. Uh, uh, I don't want any scandal to be found out about me four years after I die. Yep. You know. And you know, I think there's there's value in that of 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 uh, putting off sin and putting on Christ because of the consequences of sin. John Owen says that and that's that is a motivation, but the chief motivation is not just so that we w- won't you know bad have bad things happen to us. The chief motivation for putting off sin is so that we might we might live and enjoy Christ mm-hmm. and His life, His yep. resurrection life. And so that's that's what drives me as a husband uh, and a father. Uh, in in uh, in my life, so how often? I mean, do your kids know the whole story? I mean, they know about your they, their, their grandfather. Some do you? Yeah, um, as they've gotten older. Yeah. So I just with my fourteen year old Jonathan, we had a talk probably in the past year. Um, I, you know, we've we've been honest. Uh, you know, to I've been honest about what a wonderful father he was, and how funny he was, and and just how we loved him, and how you know he was the life of the party, and yeah. people loved to be around him, and and uh, you know they, they they know you know how he died. Um, we we've been uh, we, we, age appropriate. We've shared, yeah. right? But but with Jonathan, who's four, fourteen. Um, just in our talks about Christ and the gospel and holiness and the, and the consequences of sin and the destructiveness of sin, especially, you know, with pornography, which is a part of my life mm-hmm. from a very young age. Uh, my parents, some of their best friends in East Texas, um, my dad and him worked together. Uh, they had ter- terrible literature all over the house. Mm-hmm. My parents would go let me stay at their house for like a month every summer. Yeah. You know, as a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, all the way through high school, and yep. and his sons were into it, and so you know that's just from a very young age I was exposed to it, yep. and uh, you know so that's a, a huge passion of mine is the the destruction of of of, uh, of pornography, and uh, you know the, the road that that will take you down, and the the life that that uh, the lifelessness that it produces. Yeah. And so, you know, with Jonathan, I recently had a talk in the past year or so, just like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, like, and I told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's why I'm so passionate about trying to protect you. Um, yep. And, you know, I said, we're not going to be able to protect you from from everything I told him. I said, it's not a matter of of, of if, but when. Mm-hmm. We just live in a culture where you don't have to go to <clears throat> gas stations or to get it. Like, it like comes we did. To you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it comes to you through your phone. It comes, I mean, just images on TV. Like, it's everywhere. Yep. And so I want to help, you know, my children have a right view of God 
uh, and a right view of themselves and a right view of what it means to be made in God's image. And so mm-hmm. we've had a lot of conversations of, of viewing, you know, uh, women uh, and, you know, with, with my daughter viewing men, not as, as objects to be used, uh, you know, through manipulation or through sexual gratification, whatever it is, but as, as a subjects made in God's image to be yeah. valued and respected and treated with dignity and worth because they have the very image of God in them. And so, um, yeah, we've, we've shared, you know, very, very honestly with, with them and in age appropriate ways. Yeah. So going back to what you said, how do you battle that motivation? Because I know that most of the time, the, the easy motivation is always going to be, I don't want the consequences, yeah. um, the negative consequences. Yeah. And so it's more out of fear or out of, man, I just don't want to get caught. And so what that ends up leading to is either managing, it's more sin management yeah. than putting your, your yeah. sin to death yep. or just keeping everything in the dark and not admitting it because then that's total failure. And everything is just avoid the consequences. Yeah. I just, and it's, it, it is true. Like when, when I've seen different people, um, whether it's dads at family camp or, or public figures um, fall, my immediate response is that could so easily happen to me. Yeah. Like I need to be scared in that sense of like, why would I think it wouldn't? I remember I'm sure you've heard the Howard Hendricks study of 200 and something pastors within yeah. six months, unfortunately, who had all had moral failure. Yeah. And the four big things they had in common was, you know, not really spending time in God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have much accountability. Um, they were spending time with women they more time than they should. Yeah. And then the last one, though, is, which is convicting is they all thought it could never happen to me. Yeah. And I think that for sure I'm aware like, oh, yeah, that could easily be me. But how do you make it the right motivation yeah. and rather than just living in fear of the consequences? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can say it simply for me, it's having a big view of God mm-hmm. in in all of who he is, in his, his I mean, you can talk, I mean, read books on God's attributes mm-hmm. and his, his self-sufficiency and uh, self-existence uh, and holiness and righteousness and uh, and his his you know, omnipresence and omniscience. I mean, just all, all the glory of God, having yeah. a big view of God, uh, the, the one who has life from himself. Right? He he doesn't he doesn't need anything outside of him. I mean, just meditate on those things. Right? This is the the God who made us. Right? And made us to know him and and find our lives in him. So having a big view of God, having a realistic view of myself. Yeah. Uh, but for the grace of God, there go I. And having having a robust view of Christ and the gospel, of, of what Christ came to do mm-hmm. uh, that was rooted in who he is as the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself mm-hmm. by taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient to the born of death, even death on a cross. And so, you know, for me, the chief motivation is is having, man, just reminding myself and having people in my life to remind me of of the joy and the riches that's there for us in Christ mm-hmm. uh, that's so life-giving, you know? And I think just because of my past and history and experiences, that has so profoundly shaped me. And God's Word has, sh- has so profoundly shaped me because I understand how lonely and depressed and hopeless I was. And, you know, I... I pray every day that I never get beyond that. Cindy, Cindy and I often talk about, and we talk about with our kids, this little phrase, never get beyond the gospel. Mm. It's it's always good news. You know, I think, you know, for many Christians, and this is including myself, you know, as a young age, even up through high school, the gospel was the front door 
that once you kind of walk through it and you get what you need, namely you get forgiveness, you get you get insurance. Now you have eternal security. Right. Once saved, always saved. Now go on to other things. Yeah. Right. Now do this and do that, or do whatever you want for that matter. It's like your ABCs, and then you're yeah. gonna move on from that. That's yeah. right. And and you know, Cindy, and I, we, we we talk about often our home. There's no better thing to get beyond, mm-hmm. right? The gospel is not just the front door. It's the house we live in. Yeah. It's the air we breathe because there is nothing better than the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to give us what we didn't deserve. Yep. And what he gave us is so magnificent and beautiful and glorious that we never want to get behind beyond it. Yep. Right? And so we always want to, to uh, by God's grace and his spirit who indwells us to do this, right? That, that gives us new desires. We want to do that. And so... You know, I'll say the second thing, you know, in terms of, of not just being, you know, because uh, you read all over Scripture, right? That, that wasn't true repentance because they were just sorry for the consequences of sin. Yeah. They weren't sorry for the, actually what the sin is and what it what it did to offend God, which, mm-hmm. again, is rooted in having a big view of God and His holiness and His grace and His love and so on and so forth, and having having a realistic view of yourself of what your sin does to God. Hmm. And w- when you understand that, right, I mean, this is this is Second Corinthians seven ten that that godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so I, you know, I pray, and I, I mean, I ask the Lord often when when I sin, which is often, uh, I, I want a repentance that leads to life mm-hmm. and salvation uh, without regret. You know, I, I want a true repentance to say like. Oh, I, I regret doing it because it it brought conflict between me and my wife, or mm-hmm. it brought conflict between me and whoever, or it brought bad consequences to me. Right? That's 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 not true repentance. You're not sorry over what the sin does to God. Yeah. And uh, so I, I pray that 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 that, that genuine repentance uh, that it leads to salvation. Right? It leads to life. Yep. And, uh, you know, so, so putting those things, you know, I think for me, what's, what's really shaped my life and all this is, it's just memorizing scripture. Uh, and again, you know, out of, out of a heart that's motivated by the gospel be, because God's word is life. Yeah. Right. I've committed your word in a heart that I might not sin against you. Right? Yeah. And, and there's, that's a means of grace that God's given us to do that. I think we need to do a whole other podcast on how to memorize scripture because that's another <laughs> thing every man knows, like I should, yeah. but then, you know, how do I make time for that? Yeah. Going back to the the big view of God, mm-hmm. uh, and you said read books on God. I, my first one that comes to mind, I wanted to give some some examples. I think of Knowing God yeah. by J.I. Packer. Yeah. Would you say that's a good one? Yes. I, the reason I love that book is you can pick any chapter, mm-hmm. and it's just a different attribute of God. And yep. so it, it doesn't feel as daunting, um, but I know that I really grew in my awe and reverence of God after I read that book. Yes. Any others? Yeah, mind. so I would echo that. There, there are a couple of books that I try to read every year or reread every year, hmm. and Knowing God's one of them. Okay, it's just a wonderful classic. Like that, that what you said, you know, just gives you a, a great view of God in the gospel. Yeah, I, I would say on you know, kind of on, on attributes of God. I just I just picked one up by a pastor in Australia. It's called uh, I think it's called Truth on Fire, hmm. and it's gazing at God until your heart sings. Wow, and it's been so edifying to read. Okay. Because we can kind of think about the attributes of God as it's just a very dry mm-hmm. intellectual, but this is this is to get your heart to worship God for who he is. Cool. And so I I've, I've really enjoyed that recently. You know, there's a one by by Joel Beakey, B E E K E on the attributes of God. It's it's 31 kind of meditations on on the attributes of God and it's set up it's small, it's short, but it's very devotional. Uh, there's another one by Mark Jones, I'll say, uh, I think it's called God is. 
and it's the same kind of thing. It's it's uh, both understanding God's attributes from Scripture, but also with a view towards worshiping Him, mm-hmm. meditating on Him. Okay. Um, and the thing I always think of, even related to what you mentioned about sin, is like when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, his first response was, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Yeah. Like it was this vertical relationship first. When yeah. David was confessing his sin, he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done yeah. what is evil in your sight. Even though... Obviously, there's people that were wronged. There's like the dead guy. Yeah. And then, you know, Bathsheba and other things. Right. But uh, even the prodigal son, I know we just studied that a few weeks ago. Even the little speech that he rehearsed, his first line was, I've sinned against heaven. And so I think that having that yeah. vertical view first that yeah. my sin is not just what are my consequences, because yeah. I know that's what I naturally want to do versus I've sinned against. Yeah. A holy God. And that's really helpful to, to really kind of cultivate that God-centered instinct, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, like, you know, for our listeners, what's, what the glorious thing is and the comforting thing is, we don't do this by our own works. Mm-hmm. Like when God saves us, we're united to the crucified and risen Christ. Yeah. And not only that, God actually gives us himself in the person of a spirit, right, to indwell us. Yeah. And that's the work of the spirit, to remove hearts of stone, to give us hearts of flesh, to write his law on our hearts, Meaning, you know, God's commands now, we, we gives us, he gives us the ability to do them, to believe him and, and to obey him because he's put his spirit in us to give us new hearts that want to, right? He, he says, uh, I'll do this so that, to cause you to walk in my statutes. Yeah. So his spirit actually produces new desires where you want to do things, which I would say is wonderful, reassuring fruit that you are a Christian. Yes. And and so, you know, uh, I think that's a... That's a uh, the progress of our discipleship is learning more and more of those things. We're not doing those things out of our strength, right? Yeah. Uh, we're doing those things out of the strength that he's given us in Christ. And that's that's very, for me, that's that's very motivating. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think it was Paul Washer who said, Christianity is not doing all doing all the things you don't want to do and not doing all the things you want to do. Yeah. He said, that's a lost person yeah. with religion. Yeah, that's right. That's not Christianity. You yeah. get new desires. That's and right. so, but I, I think too, to remember... The difference, and I think this was John Piper who said, um, being born again doesn't mean you don't have bad desires. Mm-hmm. It means you're at war with them. That's right. So it's a realization, like, I'm at war, yeah. and to not be discouraged that I have these, but then so what am I going to do with them? Yeah. Like, I'm going to fight them Yeah. Um, by the power of the Spirit. Like That's you right. said, put to death um, by the Spirit. It doesn't say you've got to do it. That's right. It's you've got to do it by the Spirit. Yeah, and we're even fighting a war that, in the famous words of that Shane and Shane song, that's been already won. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's been one of the cross. Like Christ defeated our greatest enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And yeah. so, uh, you know, he's already come. He's established his kingdom. He saved us into that kingdom so that we now have in us uh, the ability to overcome sin, right? Yeah. Uh, be- because we've died and, and we've been raised with him. Uh, we can use the instruments of our, you know, the members of our body as instruments of righteousness, not, un- not unrighteousness, Romans 6. Uh, so, so even we fight out of, out of uh, uh, you know, in a battle that's already been won by Christ, ultimately. Uh, and, and that's the Christian life yep. right, until the very end. I love it. Great. Well, that just reiterates the verse we started with, that your fear of the Lord, your walk with the Lord, mm. gives you this secure fortress, this confidence, and then that's a refuge for your kids. It affects, affects and impacts your home um, in ways you don't even realize. Mm. So next time, we'll come back and talk about how do you build a Christ-centered home um, with your kids. And uh, that'll be the plan. I think dads just always want to remind you really to sum up Deuteronomy 6, what we've talked about before. Love God, live his word, lead your family. And um, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. 